Welcome to Living Wisely, Living Well, Timeless Wisdom to Enrich Every Day with Asha Nayaswamy, one of the spiritual directors of Ananda Palo Alto and a founding member of Ananda Worldwide. If you enjoy this content and are inspired by the teachings of Paramahansa Yogananda and his disciple Swami Kriyananda, find Asha on YouTube, Facebook, all podcast directories, and her website, ashajoy.org. Living Wisely, Living Well, April 30th. To break a person's will is a sin before God. Allow others to develop at their own pace, to make their own mistakes, to learn their own lessons. How else will they ever evolve spiritually? Now, we can talk about this from the point of view of a spiritual teacher, which is the main way I think about this, but I think this is something parents also need to very carefully understand what to speak of older siblings and friends and spouses. You know, to break a person's will is a sin before God. That's a, that's a pretty gigantic statement. And you know, what Swamiji is teaching us is a Dwapar Yuga, a higher age way of being a spiritual person. This, the Kali Yuga, the, the material age we just came out of in the Western monastic tradition is that you, you literally did try to break people's will. You know, obedience was prized against above all other qualities and no matter how foolish the advice from your superior you're supposed to follow it because by completely giving up your own will you were supposed to transcend your ego it rarely worked and and yogananda spoke very strongly against it he said just it to to surrender your will or let me phrase it differently to offer obedience to a God-realized master or to a highly advanced soul who will, who will be guided by God to always act in your own interest, he said, strengthens you. It liberates you from what um, master called whims and fancies. Um, but to surrender your will to someone who is not himself or herself divinely wise, he said, actually weakens your will because it, it, it paralyzes your capacity to discriminate. You know, we have this intuitive sense of what's right or wrong for myself or for situations. I've had the opportunity, the very, very pleasant opportunity in the community that I live in now where I am, <laughs> I'm actually bordering on what you would call an elder in this community. And I have um, friends, wonderful friends who are peers, but are, I mean, I'm even past the young enough to be my children. They're young enough to be my grandchildren, but we're peers and it's wonderful and I love it. And when I'm having conversations or just talking about serious spiritual matters, which is mostly what we talk about. I, I've been able to observe and I've been quick to say <clears throat> when I see it, you know, when I see someone who's, whose instincts are correct, that would be the best way I would put it, who may not always make the perfect decision or not make the decision that I, for example, would make, you know, the perfect decision. I mean, I, I heard my own voice. People might make decisions that are somewhat different than I would make, if for no other reason than they're in tune with a modern reality that I'm not in tune with. They would actually know things that I don't know. I was recently talking to one such grandchild of mine, spiritual grandchild, and I was commenting that I'm, I'm doing this, podcasts. I'm doing a lot more podcasts than I was doing before. And he said, that's wonderful. You know, people really, really want podcasts these days. I said, you know, a podcast, podcasts are radio. <laughs> 
And he said, I know, I know their radio, but this is what people want. I said, fine, I don't care what it is. When I was first even trying to find out what is a podcast, I, so I mean, I'm, I'm testing it out my, like a foreigner, like a Martian landed. So what you're describing is an audio recording, is that correct? <laughs> like the little cassettes that I used to do back in the 70s in order to record my classes? Yes, it's like an audio recording. But then it turned out to be a lot more like radio, but we call it a podcast. Now, I'm being, I'm being snide, actually. I'm not even being facetious. <laughs> I'm indulging my age and indulging the fun and trying not to be uh, quaint or anachronistic to participate. So where is the story that... I, oh, yes. So people will make quite different decisions. Taste is different. Style is different. You know, just everything changes. And if we're going to communicate and present ourselves in such a way that we will appear to be relevant, especially to another generation, we, we need to appear to be relevant. You know, when I look at black and white movies from the 1940s or the 1950s, I can still enjoy them, but they're so clearly, you know, from another era that it immediately puts it in a certain category. And when I, as a representative of a timeless teaching, but nonetheless with a certain chronological age and so on, I think it's very important that what I present appear timeless. And if it appears old-fashioned, or if the delivery system is really old-fashioned, that will set up an unnecessary prejudice against it. People will judge it by an exceedingly superficial aspect instead of perceiving it for exactly what it is. I mean, it goes, I, I've, I'm amused because I've noticed... I mean, I myself do this thing that older women often do, which is just, let's just do a really short haircut so we don't have to think about it anymore. It's very hard to explain sometime to, I mean, because to younger women, people are always trying to tell me, oh, you know, you have lovely hair, you could wear it long. I could, yes, I could wear it exactly as I always wore it when I was 25, and even when I was 50, I could still. But traveling light is really nice. When you, you accumulate a few years, it's like you just, you just want to cut off everything that doesn't, doesn't count, isn't important anymore. I mean, hair is a very small part of it. That's, it's, it's the internal relinquishment that you're really looking for. This is the fourth ashram in which even if one doesn't leave society and go out into the woods, which is the real traditional way of doing it, you just walk away and spend the rest of your life in a forest ashram. I started my life in a forest ashram, so I think I get to end it here in Silicon Valley. <laughs> but that's all right. I'm not complaining about any of that. But um, the point of all of that is, I'm saying when I'm working, working with, being with, and talking about serious spiritual matters with my grandchildren or my children, chronologically, spiritually, as Swami often said, age is the most chronological, physical age is an absolutely trivial consideration. Once you factor in reincarnation, all you're talking about is the age of your body. You're not talking about the, the evolution of your consciousness. You know, in the Tibetan Lama system, they have that extraordinary practice of when a Lama dies, they believe he'll reincarnate somewhere, and often before the Lama dies, he'll give a hint as to where he's going to reincarnate. And then there's this... Um, this process that they follow, where they, they find the reincarnated Lama, like the present Dalai Lama, I believe they found him when he was four years old, if I'm not mistaken. And it's an un, it was understood in the whole Tibetan culture. Unfortunately, 
much of that culture has now been obliterated because that country has been taken over and it's been taken over for 50 years. So it's very hard to maintain it. It's maintained in India in, in exile, but in Tibet it's not there much anymore. But they had this method where they would go and find the Lama. And so he's four years old, but he's still the Dalai Lama. He just happens to be four years old. And then they had a whole system for um, taking the, the, re <clears throat> the reincarnation in as a child and then raising him up from childhood to, to resume whatever position he was going to resume. I mean, it's really actually fascinating. So four years old, he's still, you know, he's still the religious head of the whole country. He just happens to be in a four-year-old body. So having said all that, talking to my children and grandchildren um, chronologically, which is the only way that matters in, in that word, spiritually not at all. When I see that their instinctive response to things is appropriate, whatever the details, whatever the specifics are, is far less important than this perception that they, they can discriminate between um, you know, what is forward moving and what is not. What is a good what is a good in tune direction for us to go, and what would take us a little bit out of our central vibration? Swamiji himself, when he was leading Ananda, um, he he was he he was very clear about the fact from the beginning. He he didn't supervise the details of things. There were several other communities starting at the same time, and some of the community leaders just involved themselves in every detail of the community. It was just their style of leadership. Swami really didn't care that much about the details of things, but he was very attentive to the central quality of energy and the, the essential attitudes that people were holding. And just like the, basically their essential consciousness. Because he always said if the energy was right, all the details would take care of themselves. And no amount of attention to all the details would ever suffice if the, if the fundamental energy was not... In tune is the word I want to use. In tune means in, in fundamental harmony with the, with the guiding principles, and even more profoundly for Ananda's sake, with the fundamental consciousness of Paramahansa Yogananda. Now, that's a very complicated subject, attunement, which, as it happens, I address in... I, uh, living my living in the light um, satsangs that I've been giving in September of 2020 when this is being recorded. It's a very complicated subject by itself, but it's what I mean by their instincts are right. They have a fundamental understanding of people. They tend to read people correctly, their own whatever limitations they're working with within themselves, and we're all working with limitations. I mean, welcome to the human race. Um, they don't interfere with their ability to see situations objectively. And I, I, when I was coming up spiritually, meaning coming up uh, chronologically, I was 22 when I met Swami, 24 when I began to live in the ashram. Swami was uh, 44 when I met him, 22 years older than me, which he always remained 22 years older than me. And of course, not only did he have more experience in this lifetime, but he had countless lifetimes of more experience. Um, so I was in a very fortunate position with him and his successor, Jyotish and Devi. They were also good friends of mine and a couple of other people, Prakash, Ananta, founding members of the community, Seva. 
I, I had constant close association with these people who were all um, highly developed spiritually and more developed than I in many important areas. Of course, Swami above all, but the other people who were more or less my peers circumstantially, but nonetheless had a refined consciousness in ways that I lacked. And so what I constantly was able to do is I was always, and I, and I did it very eagerly, because I was very eager to do this. I have, a, I have, as you might have noticed, a very active mind, and I'm always trying to think things through. I've always been this way. I basically don't have an off switch. If I'm not asleep, I'm sorting through things one way or another. This is the best and the worst of me. I've noticed something interesting. Many people's worst quality is their best quality taken just a little too far. That you're coming up right to center, but you've got too much momentum and you cross right over. You know, I like to think things through. I like to understand things. I like to get clear. And then when 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 it becomes my worst fault... I like to impose my idea on others. I like to insist. I like to say that my way is right. You know, but when I pull back from that, it's helpful. When I cross over that line, it's not helpful. Let's just put it like that. This, it's exactly what Swami says here. You can't impose your will on people. You have to let them find their own experience. But I had the opportunity to test my ideas, constantly test my ideas. This is what I'm thinking. Does this make sense? This is what I'm thinking of doing. Does this make sense? And Swamiji and all my friends, they helped me to develop my own will. And they helped me to understand, to to learn to recognize intuitively when I was correct and when I was not. But some of the times you can only understand that is if you are allowed to play it out. Because if you don't play it out, you'll never really be able to tell. Because if someone just stops you and you thought you were correct, you just, you don't really know. You may, feel, you may feel thwarted instead of rescued. You're just as often you'll feel thwarted as, still, as well as instead of rescued. But when you're allowed to play it out, <clears throat> and whatever that might mean, sometimes it can mean a whole lifetime where you play it out, many lifetimes where you play it out, but at the end of it you'll know. And when you know, you'll really know. But if somebody just imposes on you, you never, you never develop confidence, you never develop intuition. You never you, you, you get stunted. You may look good. You may behave properly. But at the center of your behavior is not transcendent wisdom. At the center of your behavior is the fear of, of, of breaking a rule, is the fear of stepping out of line, is the fear of not being approved of. And that's not freedom. That word is fear of. And fear of, no matter how nice it makes you look, Fear of is not freedom. Freedom is when I know this to be true and nothing could take this away from me. This is how we have to help people. Many times I watched Swamiji encourage people to carry on projects that he knew they could not succeed at. But succeeding, even though they thought was the objective, was not the objective from his point of view. From his point of view, it was to let them test their will and have the experience that they needed to have to, in the long rhythm, develop and grow into a state of freedom. So Swami says, To break a person's will is a sin before God. Allow others to develop at their own pace, to make their own mistakes, to learn their own lessons. 
how else will they ever evolve spiritually? God bless you, my friends. Our work is made possible by inspired listeners. So if you feel to support Asha, you can make a one-time donation or for unique members-only content, subscribe through Patreon. Blessings and thank you.